So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 25, we're in this series called Hope for Exiles. And, uh, and so this morning, we'll be uh, continuing on in that in, uh, in verses uh, 11 through 25. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll begin. Lord, help us to uh, be faithful to the teachings of your word. Feed us. Uh, help us to digest the word of God well and, and let, give us energy and direction. Uh, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you. I pray, Lord, that my sisters and brothers be filled with confidence and strength for the next week ahead. I pray for those in this room who aren't yet believers or think they are and aren't. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to see the gospel for what it is. Be glorified, Jesus, as we study your word in Christ's name. Amen. I want to throw up a picture. This week on, on Wednesday, I was down in Waltham, Mass., and I, got, I was going down there to visit uh, an Acts 29 church there called Seven Mile Road in Waltham. Uh, and I got there early, and I, I did, wanted to kill some time, and I come to find out there was this um, large cemetery, Mount Feek Cemetery, one of the best-preserved garden cemeteries in Massachusetts. It's on the National Registry of Historic Places. I like these places. And so to kill about 15 minutes, I, no pun intended, kill... <laughs> I uh, drove around the cemetery and stopped at like they had a, a real neat veterans um, display and flags and all that and walked around that a little bit. And I was driving around and I saw these uh, tombstones. And actually, it's the one in the back that, that really struck me. Um, they're both last names are Church. The one in back is D.H. Church. And it's a big old stone. And all it says, you can hardly see it. It says D.H. Church Inventor. And so, curious as I was, when I got home, I had to look him up and think, what, who, what did he invent? Well, who knows? There was, back in the 1800s, there was a factory there called Waltham Watches. They made watches. And D.H. And, uh, Church invented a regulator to give more accuracy to those pocket watches. And I thought, man, that's, that's a good life end up like that, like you contributed to, and if you, if you're, if you like being on time, it, it matters that your clock is accurate. Well, I don't know if DH Church really had a good life or not. I mean, you can pay for what you want on your tombstone. What defines a good life? And I've ended up asking this, has, have I had a good life? Well, the text this morning uh, addresses this. And so we want to talk about the good life of exiles. And as we talk about exiles, we're talking about we are temporary residents in a foreign land. This is hard for us Americans. We are so caught up in our comfort and our, our presence and our 401k and, 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 and you know, just, just where we are. It's hard for us to think that this is just a temporary place and we are exiles here. Part of my job takes me to places where people are, um, well, I'll, I'll touch on that in a minute. Let's, let's read uh, first, first Peter chapter 2, start in verse 11. And uh, has been our custom here. After I'm done, if I remember, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And you're going to respond, thanks be to God. So hear the word of the Lord from first Peter chapter 2, verse 11, through the end of the chapter. 
Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourself, yourselves honorably among the Gentiles or the unbeliever, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if, because of consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you are called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges him justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In uh, 2006, I was going through, at that point I was 43, I was going through what was classically considered midlife crisis. I saw a counselor, had a mentor, and God was kind to help me refocus myself on the remaining part of my life. It's a significant time, especially for many males. In that process, I came up with a life goal or vision. And it actually is is, uh, rooted and fits this text perfectly. My life goal, as, as it was developed then, is to, was to live an intensely Godward life, inspiring others to lasting devotion. And so the big point here this morning is that very line. You can put that up there. Um, the good life is living an intensely Godward life, inspiring others to lasting devotion. That's what this text talks about. It talks about that for you to have a good life doesn't mean you're wealthy or healthy. You have everything you want. It doesn't mean you live where you want. It doesn't mean you have all the capacity you want. It doesn't mean any of those things. It might mean that you're sick, you're unappreciated, you're single, you're divorced, you're unemployed. It might mean things are hard, but as you keep your eyes intensely fixed on God through Christ, through that, you will inspire others. To follow him. And as I mentioned, I have the privilege of sitting in the front row of churches all around the globe 
This fall, I'll be in a very poor rural church in Guatemala and another one in Tirana, the capital of Albania. Uh, by the way, Albanian, their minimum wage in Albania is $275 a month. They, they, are, they are impoverished people. And I get to be in those places. I see suffering and poverty and daily struggle. And some of you can relate to this. Some of you live in daily struggle. Some of you live in daily poverty. Some of you wrestle with isolation and meaning, struggling to find meaning. But many of us are blessed with wealth and comfort, which can numb us to our transient position here in life, that we are exiles. This isn't home. So as we look at this text, the good life for the exile in Christ is not measured by wealth and comfort. Those aren't bad, but they're not guaranteed. But a life of an exile who's focused on Christ is a life that is intensely focus Godward, and because of that, it inspires others to follow him. So this morning, we're going to look at this text and basically three thoughts. There's a general teaching on the good life. Then there are two specific examples of the good life, and then we see how following the good life of Jesus is our model. So look at verses 11 and 12. We've already read it. There's a general teaching here, and Paul begins with dear friends. He doesn't, I mean, it's not Paul, Peter. He begins... He doesn't use his authority. He sees them as not just brothers and sisters, but there's an urgency here. There's a, he says, I urge you, I beg you, as temporary residents in a foreign land. I was actually going to title this sermon, uh, Good News for Aliens, but I didn't want my closing sermon to be people saying, hey, David was talking to, you know, aliens. But the idea that, that aliens, and we think of that as either, either undocumented workers who come into our country or the whole UFO, outer space type of creatures, aliens that come from a different place, it fits in the sense that this is not our home. We don't belong here. We're temporary residents in a temporary world, in a foreign land. When I was uh, in my last semester at, at, in college, it was the fall of 1986. I was on the phone, which was connected to a wall, because <laughs> we didn't have those other things then, talking to my best friend, Steve Vino, who was in the military station in Washington. And we would talk every, I don't know, once a month or so. And he said, and he, he said this, this is how, he's like Paul, I mean, he's like Peter here, he says, David, urgency. You're going back to New Hampshire. The fishing isn't good. All the girls that you've ever been attracted to, ask them out now. <laughs> I did. I got married. <laughs> I mean, that's how it worked. That's what, this is what Peter's saying. He's saying, guys, this is really serious. And, and then he, gets, he, said, he gives, he gives this, um, this general teaching. And it starts with an internal teaching here. He says, abstain from the sinful desires inside you, your soul. Ironically, the text we're looking at today will begin with talking about your soul and it'll end with your soul. But if you are going to live an intensely Godward life, you must take ownership for the stuff that wars against your soul. 
the bad desires that are part of the fallen nature that you and I have. That in Christ, we, we see this war. And we're called to abstain from feeding the sinful desires that are raging a battle or soldiering against our soul. In other words, don't feed the beast. The good life begins inside. And so here are some steps to dealing with like the general teaching of internal, this internal desire to be Godward is what are those desires that are battling against your soul? Name them. Write them down. Take a little bit of quiet reflection. You know, in in stages of life, you face different (coughs) evil desires that wage against your soul. I can can get somewhat uh, sad by by dwelling in the past and thinking about the mistakes I've made and decisions I wish we had made. And, you know, it can, and I, I can be drawn. I, I've, got to, I've got to abstain from that. I can, I can, uh, I can, there are all sorts of things that wage war against our soul. You and I have an obligation to abstain from that, which means name them and confess them. Just talk to, to Jesus about them. Talk to someone in your missional community probably someone of the same gender, what are those evil things that, that, that keep haunting you, that keep coming after you? You know they're unhealthy. Ask for help. Ask Jesus for help. His first prayer, his first sermon included the out on this. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. You and I have an obligation about the war that's going on inside of us. If we're going to live a good life, if we're going to live a good life, it's going to start inside. We're going to name it. We're going to confess it. We're going to ask for help. And we're going to replace it. We're going to put on stuff. I, I can think malicious thoughts about people in my soul. To replace it, I, I'm thankful for them. I pray blessing on them. You can't do both things at the same time. Jesus taught us to pray for our enemies. I can think about, you know, looking over the hill to almost 60 now. And I'm, I'm going like, I don't like this idea of, of getting old. I don't have, you know, it's like, or I can just be so thankful. I can fill my journal with things I'm grateful for. God has been so good. All right, so if I'm going to live a good life, it's going to start with this internal, this general teaching, but it's also going to have this external part too. It says, conduct yourself honorably among the Gentiles. In other words, you have an obligation not just to face those battles in your soul. They're yours personally. It can be jealousy, it can be bitterness, it can be lust, it can be coveting, it can be ungratitude. You, have an, you can't blame other people for what's going on in your soul. Take ownership, deal with it, and then conduct yourself on the outside towards those around you in a way, look what it says there, in an honorable way. So that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Jesus, this is the clear teaching of Jesus again from his first sermon. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The, the gospel is both spoken, but then it's, it's lived out as we conduct ourselves as, as exiles in a foreign land. The normal patterns of this world are not supposed to be ours. 
And for it, you will receive ridicule at times. But the ridicule can often end as people start to admire the way you live. This takes time. We are on display. We are an advertisement of Jesus' coming kingdom in our lives for a better land, for a better way, a different king and a different kingdom. How do you act at sporting events? Are you honorable? How do you act in long lines? Are you honorable? Do you care about your coworkers? Do you care about people? Here's, here's a good test. Just ask people how they're doing and show interest. We so often want to put, a, put our story first. Your story is safe in Jesus. Actually care about the other person and ask them how their week is, how their day's going. At work, you can even say, when they share and things are tough, you can say, I'll pray for you. It's okay to say that. It's not illegal. And do it, really pray. Don't just say it. How are you students? Do your teachers see you different? Let me say, are good uplifting times, people. Where you live, you have some of the hardest living conditions in Concord. Do the people around you see a difference because you follow Christ? We are called to conduct ourselves honorably. Listen, we just have, if you haven't watched the news, Friday, uh, the Supreme Court, the Dobbs decision, uh, overruled Roe v. Wade. If you know anything about that, that means no longer, let's see, um, it doesn't ban abortion. What happened was they, the, the, the courts back in 73 basically made all abortion legal. Well, there's been a long fight to return that to a legislative decision, not a court decision. Like the rest of the world, most of the other countries in the world, it's all been a legislative process. Those of us who are Christians, most of us believe the sanctity of life should be protected. And so we have reason to praise God, but we better not gloat because most of the people around us don't see things the way we do. In fact, not everybody in this room sees everything that is on the same page on this. And at the end of the day, the real work, if you're pro-life, really starts now because now there's going to be in different states. Nothing in New Hampshire has changed. Okay, so New Hampshire's laws are still the same. The, the, the Feminist Health Center has changed names now down on Main Street. They're still open for business. That's not changing. But if we're going to not just legislate, and now it returns to the legislature, and by the way, the view of pro-life is only about solid is only about 25% of the population. So even though 26, 26 states have, have anti-abortion laws on the books, I'm, I'm sharing all this to say how you act now matters. Because a lot of my friends, I, I immediately got texts from my lost friends. One particularly was like, like angry with me. I, I wasn't didn't say anything. I just, she just knew I'm a Christian I'm, and, and, and she professes Christ, but she's like, and, and I, I'm just, and, and my goal was just to honor her feelings. Not trying to change her mind. I'm sharing this as an illustration because it's, 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 it's prevalent where you work. It's prevalent in, we don't gloat, we're, we praise God. We don't gloat, 
We need to care about those who are feeling like somehow they're jeopardized. I mean, this, this is huge. And as we do that, and as does it, to, to honor someone's feelings doesn't mean you agree with their, you know, where they're at. It just means you're honoring who they are. You're listening to them. You're, you're empathizing with them. And as you do that, perhaps by the way you conduct yourself with humble care, lives might be changed. So the general principle here is, if I am going to live an intensely Godward life, it starts internally and it works itself out externally. Now we have two examples, two specific applications of the good life. They have to do with government and, and, and you could say work, but they more, they more importantly have to do with submission and suffering. So in verses 13 through 20, you get these two examples one, he, start, he starts in, in um, verse 13, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors. He's basically saying, if there's an authority over you, you have an obligation to submit to them with a good attitude. And yes, there's a caveat, unless they ask you to do something that opposes Jesus. But do you realize how rare this is in our culture? I mean, you, where you work, you know, do, is there common to grumble against the administration or the management or the president? Or Is that common? In most places it is. In your school systems? And by golly, regardless of your political persuasion, it is like, it is like normal citizens, citizenry to complain about our government. But according to the the Bible here. And if you believe the Bible, this changes things. You have a different obligation. You're called to honor, submit. Honor is another place. You see, the problem with disrespect is in, of authority is that you're disrespecting God. God claims that he has put every authority in its place. Yes, even bad authorities. If God is sovereign and he he says he is, those of us who follow Christ believe he is, then we can trust that he has put in authority those whom he wants. Maybe not for because they're the best, maybe because the people under them need, need to have it lousy. I don't know, but we, to, to, to not submit to authority is not to submit or fear God. And as Americans, you know, we're the first country in the human history that does... It, that is basically chooses our leaders on a regular pattern. It, democracy did not exist the way we've experienced it. And we're still called to show respect and submission. To unwillingly, to, I'm sorry, to willingly, humbly submit is a clear sign that you're trusting God. To unwillingly rebel, or to willingly rebel is actually an offense to your to the God who you say you follow, your Father in heaven. It says, because of the Lord. It's right in the, in the text. Because of the Lord. You submit because of the Lord. Not because the leader's perfect, not because they're right, but because of the Lord. Now, here's four observations. Human government, God ordains to punish evil and reward good. So when the, the president gives out the Presidential Medal of Freedom as a reward bestowed recognizing someone who's made an especially 
a, a special contribution to the security of natural, national interest or to world peace or to culture. When the president does that, they're honoring good. And perhaps government could do better at honoring good. I don't know how that would happen. You know, if the policeman pulls you over and says, I just want to give you um, a gift card to Starbucks because you drive so well. Now, that would be different. Doubt is going to happen. Reward what is good. But, but God has instituted government for his, his purposes. And God's will is that we would live in humble submission to authority. Now, he does say in here, listen, we are free slaves. He says in here, you, we're going to talk about slavery in a moment, but he says, though you are slaves, you are free. As it says there, uh, let's see, verse 16, submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. So out of the freedom of your conscience, you submit to authority because you're a slave to God. And then he kind of throws at the end, listen, honor everybody, everybody. Honor everybody, especially love the brotherhood and sister. That's what it said, because you're fearing God. And then he says, he ends with these words, honor the emperor. Now, the emperor at this time was not a good guy. Not a good guy at all. I was quoting this, uh, as, as you can imagine, um, people are, well, a former member of our church posted something on Facebook about like not liking the president, blah, blah, blah. And by the way, I think it's an abomination if you, if you speak ill of the, you could disagree, but to speak ill of the president, even if you didn't vote for him, I think is an abomination. It, it is an offense to God. You're not honoring and submitting to an authority. You don't have to like him. You don't have to vote for him. But like, like you, I, yeah, I better be careful here. <laughs> Let me just stop there. Yeah. When he says honor the emperor, he's saying honor a very wicked man. The other part of this is suffering. He says in verse, so, so we're dealing with, so how do we, what are the two specific applications as we, the applications of the good life? One is submission. The other is suffering. Now, he's going to use the illustration of household slaves. The closest thing we have to that is employment, but that doesn't really carry weight. But in verse 18, as we talked about household slaves, we're really talking about um, a culture where in the home, even in a, a, a poorer home, you could even have a household slave. And it's ironic that Peter and Paul, when he addresses people in, in chains of commands, he always starts with the people that would, in their culture, be at the lowest. And I think it's their way of honoring. So here he starts with household slaves, and he's going to talk to wives, and then he's going to talk to husbands. That's next week. But here, he wrote to address the, the living, uh, the, the household code of, of having slaves. Uh, today in our culture, sex trafficking is probably the closest thing we have to this. In fact, the U.S. government estimates about close to 18,000 people right now are in our country being held against their will in, in, in sex slavery. God hates slavery, 
But as long as there's a fallen human world, people are going to take not just advantage, but take control of others' lives and hold them hostage. How do I know God hates slavery? Well, because the Old Testament story is one of the biggest God delivers slaves into freedom story there is. It's called the Exodus. Then there's a whole book in the New Testament called Philemon, where a household slave escapes. Paul leads him to Christ. Paul knew the slave owner and tells Philemon, hey, treat this guy. Wait a minute. Philemon or, uh, you know, well, he, he tells the household owner, yeah, that's the guy. He says, he says, treat this guy no longer as a slave, but as a brother. You see, suffering is part of our lives. And here he's not telling household slaves to run. And, and there were laws that, that prohibited the abuse of slavery, in, even in the Roman Empire, to some extent. But he tells he tells, Peter tells believers, and this is that we are to endure suffering as God's children because we are exiles and this is temporary. And it brings favor to God. The last line, it brings favor to God. You may be called to a lousy job and your boss may not be great and God wants you to stay there because it brings, as it says here, you have favor with God. It brings honor to him, and he is with you in that suffering. Now, we're free. We have the opportunity to seek other jobs. But in our lives, regardless whether we're working or we're not, we find ourselves in places of suffering. We are to use those for God's honor. That's what it means to live a good life. A good life means enduring suffering. It might mean illness. We have prayed long and hard for people who have been sick and God has not healed them because he wants them to honor him in their suffering. This wraps up with a, with, with a points us to Jesus. The last thought is following the good life of Jesus. It says there in verse 21, for you were called to this. So you're called to submission, you're called to suffering because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you should follow in his steps. Aren't you glad Jesus endured suffering? Yeah, we're going to end the, 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 the time again. Aren't you? So he calls us to share in his suffering that we can share in his glory. We follow in his steps without sin. This is our model. By the way, Jesus is more than a role model. He, his suffering, uh, I was going to use a big word, but I better not because I'll mispronounce it. It was effective. I think efficacious is what I was going to say, but I don't, I'm not sure if that's a good word. Uh, it accomplished our salvation. Our suffering accomplishes good. And he calls us to model Jesus. By the way, if... In your faith, or in your pursuit of faith, this is the crux issue with Christianity. We are Christians because we believe that God, in his infinite love and grace, has, has embodied his son in a, in a human body, fully God, fully man, to show us a number of things, the love of God, and then also to substitute himself in our place so the just wrath of God that all my millions, probably billions of sins deserve 
are satisfied because God is fair. So Christ bore those for you and for me. You are not going to heaven because you got your life straightened out. You are going to heaven because you're placing your faith completely in Jesus. At the picnic today, um, someone's getting baptized. And uh, Callum, getting baptized. There's this beautiful picture of what baptism is. He is being buried in water is a picture of being buried with Christ, that the death of Christ has washed all of Callum's sins away. His sins, I think he's only eight, ten years old. I mean, sins of his past, but the sins of his future, all washed away, buried with Christ. He's resurrected to new life in Christ. That is the Christian message. That is the gospel. And now we follow Jesus in this life of, of willing to endure suffering. Jesus models suffering for others, so we suffer for others. Listen, it's, at the heart of love is giving yourself for others. It means sacrifice. It is suffering. This is the model of Jesus. To suffer, to, uh, let's see, I think there's a slide that might go along with this. Um, what's the next one up there? Yeah, suffering for, yeah, follow Jesus by suffering for others. Jesus defeated sin by suffering. So what do we do? We fight against sin, we endure sin, we overcome sin, and that includes suffering. That takes us back to the warring in our souls. To fight sin is suffering. And then we follow Jesus by trusting the Father in our suffering. Like, that's what we can do. This is the good life. The good life, (laughs) this sounds funny, like the good life is the life of suffering. Part of it. Part of it, yeah. And it ends with this beautiful rendition of Isaiah 53. Probably the most accurate rendition quoted in the New Testament. Isaiah 53, about the suffering of the Messiah. That Jesus, by his wounds, you are healed. Now, a lot of people would take this and say, hey, because Jesus died, you should be healthy. No, that's not what it's saying. The wounds of Jesus allow us to bring to him all the brokenness of our lives and find healing there. Far greater than physical healing is is the removal of bitterness, the re- removal of doubt, re- uh, removal of anger. In his wounds, we can be healed. Because at the end of the day, we have a shepherd of our soul. Let me invite you to this good gospel life. Living an intensely Godward life, inspiring others to lasting devotions. That would be uh, my sort of parting message here. I was hoping to have like this really killer message. I said, no, I'm just going to deliver like the message straight up. That's my life. But I think it's the life of the text. That internally and externally, we will fight the evil desires. We abstain from them at war against our soul. We will conduct ourselves in this world, even though we will be ridiculed in a way that others will look at us and eventually glorify God. We do it by submission to authority, and enduring suffering. And as we do that, we are following the model of Jesus, who did it for others, he did it to defeat sin, and he did it trusting the Father. So this morning, I hope I've shaken you up a little bit. It's kind of like that call from my friend Steve. David, ask out all those girls you ever wanted to ask out, because you're going back to New Hampshire, and you're not going to meet anybody up there. Okay, I'm trying to say to you, hey, this is serious. Work on the internal stuff. You have an obligation to do that. Work on the external conduct. You represent Jesus in this world. 
Embrace glad suffering because it's temporary if that's what God has asked you to endure. And do it without complaint. Do it in fervent prayer. Do it with tears. Do it relying on others. And keep coming back to the pasture of your soul. This text ends in a beautiful way. It ends in verse 25. For you were like sheep who had gone astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Now, those terms shepherds and overseers, those are the terms used for pastors and elders. We have human pastors and elders. And we keep trying to point you to Jesus and be like Jesus to you. But at the end of the day, we get to bring our souls to this amazing pastor, this amazing elder, this Jesus who cares for us. And in doing so, we experience a good life in this temporary place. Let me pray. Lord, my prayer is that we would live intensely Godward lives, inspiring others to lasting devotion, that by the way we live, we would have opportunity to talk to people about how our lives have found hope as exiles in a foreign land. That, Lord, though this world is filled uh, with darkness, and, and, and even, as that song says, with devils ill, uh, they threaten to undo us, uh, Lord, we not, need not fear, for God hath willed. Christ to triumph through us. Lord, we rest in you. Lord, thank you for this congregation. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the opportunity to suffer. Thank you for the call to submit. Thank you for this this world you've called us to. May we endure until we have a name engraved on a tombstone. More than an inventor, would it say, follower of Christ. Lord, that's our prayer. Christ's name, amen.